0: This is Chris Goldberg. Uh, Thank you for reading Philly lacrosse and listening to the next More Than a Club podcast. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Kuprian and Delay. Welcome back to the More Than the Club podcast, Season 3. We are thrilled to be back in the studio for Episode 5 and in person, ready to take on another special guest with deep Philly lacrosse roots. I'd like to welcome back my co-host and now proud dad, Dad Coop. Welcome back, bud. Missed you.
1: Awesome. Thanks a lot, Bill. I appreciate that. Uh, Shout out to my wife, Jenny, and Jackson. It's been amazing. We're enjoying our little bundle of joy. Uh, Special time for the family. We were just given a quick recap of the fall at Next. On the club side, it's been really successful for our boys and girls. Club teams are hitting on all cylinders. On the event side, our events team continues to run best-in-class tournaments and showcases each weekend in multiple locations, growing the sport on the boys' and girls' sides all over the United States. Another highlight for me this fall was getting to work closely with today's guest, both at the Haverford School and the coaching staff and at his Scorers League sessions with Next. I'm excited for all of us to hear and learn more from one of the biggest stars in lacrosse, local Philly legend, and 2021 PLL Attackman of the Year, Grant Amen. Welcome, Grant. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: It's great to have you not scoring goals against LaSalle <laughs> it's nice, and me on the side. It's nice not going against you, Coach. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all right, for those living under a rock and unfamiliar with Grant's accolades, they are pretty stellar for such a young guy. Here we go. Coach Coop, tag me in if I can't make it all the way through this impressive list. Current PLL attackman for the Archers, coached by guests of the show Chris Bates and Tony Resch. Grant was named the PLL's attackman of the year in 2021. Earlier this fall, he stood out in his first
1: appearance competing for Team USA. Simply put, he's one of the best players in the world right now. In 2021, Grant posted 13 goals and 22 assists, starting every game for the Archers. In his two years in the PLL, he has 60 points in just 16 games and he's quickly established himself as one of the most dynamic players the sport has seen. Grant grew up in Doylestown, Bucks County. I'm a Newtown guy. (laughs) Knew we had something in
0: common. (laughs) He attended the Haverford School, where he played for John Nostrand. Grant was a three-year starter, two-time All-State attackman, and a leader of one of the greatest high school teams we've ever seen here in Philly. In 2015, Grant was a captain and an all-everything
1: player for Haverford's undefeated 26-0 team. In his time at Penn State, Grant was a program-changing player. Ament left the Nittany Lions as the school's career leader in points and assists. 274 points, 183 assists. Both were also Big Ten records. Ament's 2019 season saw him set the NCAA, Big Ten, and program record for assists in a single season with 98, while breaking the NCAA tournament record with 25 points. A
0: man operates the Attack Academy, where he's partnered with Rob Pinnell and others to pass on their wisdom to the next generation. With Next, Grant runs the Scorers League in the fall, winter, and summer seasons. Recently, Grant signed on to coach at his alma mater, Haverford, where he will be the offensive coordinator for the Fords under head coach Brendan Dawson. It's an honor to have you with us today, Grant. Some list here. what I miss?
2: I think you guys did a good job. Thank you. Thank you for that. Humble, because I know know we miss things. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome stuff. All of
1: that at five nine one hundred sixty five. Grant's an incredible example of what makes this sport special, and I can't wait to pick his brain today as a player, as a coach, and as a friend. Grant, a lot of people out there want us to start with this. What's your special sauce? You don't need to give us everything, but maybe just a day in the life. What have you been doing today uh, to get your edge?
2: Yeah, I mean, so we're we're officially in the off season, so um, you know I'm doing something probably once a day at least during the week, uh, whether it's lifting, footwork, PT, stuff like that. Um, you know, as as much as this past year was successful in some people's eyes in terms of my individual play, we we didn't really end up having having a win uh, at the end of the season, so um, kind of back to the drawing board and. Nothing. Uh, nothing wrong with going to the, into the off season with a little bit of hunger. Awesome. Well,
1: thanks again for joining us. We're gonna roll right into our first segment. We call this our youth sports hot topic for parents, and I think you you said you got something for us. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think this this topic's a, a great one. You know, being around kind of youth sports um, a, as a coach now, uh, I, I kind of see a lot of different things from parents and. I'm, uh, now more than ever, and I've, I've expressed this to, to my dad on Father's Day when I was in college because I was coaching. Um, you know, I'm I'm more appreciative now for for how he uh, kind of coached me along because he coached me my entire life, um, but but it was never x's and o's it was never skill um you know if it had had something to do with my integrity or or, you know being a good person on the field um he would step in but um you know he really allowed he and my mom both allowed me to kind of find my passion um and and similar to my brothers you know it it, for them lacrosse wasn't as serious um but they had fun doing it and you know they were just as well supported as i was and i think as parents um you know you can only push your kids so far and one of the biggest things that i see with with young kids is you know it's their their dad breathing down their neck or or their their mom saying you have to go to practice and it's you know there are some things that you need to make decisions for as a parent but um at the end of the day you need to support your your child finding what he or she loves and you know as a parent you know for you now, um, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, that, already got that, a stick that, in his hand. I'm already stressed out. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I
1: get it. I get it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, t- talk about maybe some things parents, you know, should not do or would be looked negatively upon by a coach, whether it's a, you know, someone training their kid or a varsity coach of the high school team.
2: Yeah, I, I think first is is re- it's really the backyard is my biggest thing. Like when when I was so I grew up in a neighborhood um, with people kind of all around my age. Uh, one who who played for, for Coach Leahy and Sean Coleman. So us the Colemans, you know, some other uh, neighbors. You know, whatever sport we were playing on that day, we were playing. Whether it was roller hockey, basketball, baseball, lacrosse. Um, but but in general. I think the, the biggest thing is, is I was never forced to go out and do practice. I think that is the number one thing where parents go wrong is saying you need to get 50 reps in on the wall, or you need to do certain things. Um, that's for homework. That's for school The sports aren't meant to be in, in that regard, um, you know, forced upon kids uh, in, in that way. And, you know, education's one thing and kids need to learn how to, I still don't like going to school. So, you know, I, I get it. Um, but but with sport, whether it was soccer in soccer season or lacrosse in lacrosse season, you know, they never had to convince me to go outside. I just went out and did it. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of players that I've played with burn burnout. And, and that's the number one thing you want to avoid with that.
0: You're making me think of my own dad. Back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, in Kaki'sville, my dad was from Philly and wasn't a lacrosse guy. Mm-hmm. And he got back from Vietnam. He settles in to Baltimore. And by the way, happy Veterans Day, Dad, yeah. <laughs> coming back from Vietnam. Anyway, I used to go out there with my bucket of balls, and he would come out and take my bucket away and give me just one. He'd say, so every time you miss it, you're going to chase that ball. <laughs> I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about. But he kind of had a good point there. But as I got older as a player, I really was honored that my dad would say to me, look, I'm your dad. So I'll do dad things. And Coach Thomas or whoever, Coach Cottle at Loyola, that's your coach. So you'll deal with your coach about lacrosse things, and I'll just love you up about dad things. That's my job, and that's Coach's job. And we either start mixing them up in either direction, we're going to have problems. And I really didn't think twice about it as a young person. But as I got to LaSalle, I was thinking a lot of people I know need my dad's advice, (laughs) whether it's a kid or whether it's a parent. Mm -hmm. But I think my dad had a good point there. You know, he didn't try to be somebody he wasn't he's not a coach mm-hmm. he could yeah. just be a great that, dad and
2: that's a hard thing to separate as a parent but it's one thing that you know i still deal with with my parents you know like i don't want to just be i want to be their son i don't need to be a lacrosse player exactly and, and being able to separate that and show the love and support um you know not once no matter how bad i played not once has my, have my parents ever said you played like crap you know it's good job it's it's a hug it's a kiss and and we move on and it's still that way as they're traveling to to most of my PLL games still today
0: they're not breaking down your stats and going through the (laughs) no they're not
2: no they're not awesome let's move
1: on to something for coaches uh always like talking to Grant about fundamentals and just hearing you know what he thinks are the basics of the game and as he teaches them what's most important Grant anyone anywhere you want to go with that?
2: Yeah, I, I think this is a, there, there's a lot of directions where I think you can go with this. but with fundamentals, um, you know teaching kids first and foremost the proper stick skills for everybody, you throw with your top hand. you don't pull with your bottom hand. There's one guy in the world that's been able to kind of really just pull with his bottom hand and he's 63, 225 pounds and wears the number 99 and he's one of our the best players and competitors that our sports ever seen. I didn't have that, so I learned a lot of my fundamentals from Mark Millen, um, a Hall of Famer in, in his own right. And um, you play like him. From an <laughs> guy like me who's watched both of you, you I, I, like I, I take that as a very big compliment. Um, you know, he's he was instrumental in, in my fundamentals. Um, so there's there's that side of it um, is making sure that just instilling the proper technique of getting your hands away from your body and snapping your top hand, and then when you catch it, catching it without any sort of extra action. And and so when when you kind of go through with that, it that's my biggest issue that I still see with with kids at Haverford that I'm coaching. It's like, well, I learned that at such a young age and I was blessed to be able to do that. Now my job in this is is to kind of pass that that along. So I think that's where you start. Then you can get into footwork. And and then in terms of offensively, I think the number one thing that is not taught is, is how to be deceptive as a as a lacrosse player and it's a very hard thing to teach but it's certainly one of the best practices.
0: So the coach in me wants to like break this down a little bit as an attackman. Yeah. And as we were saying in our pre-show dinner, you know, you look around at attackmen and so few play with their heads up. Mm-hmm. Just purely with their heads up. Mm-hmm. Of course there's you, there's Michael Sowers, Pat Spencer, you want to talk to us a little bit about how you learned to do that and you just don't have your head down going?
2: Yeah, yeah. So when I, it was actually when I was younger. Um, I, I was that kid who would take the face off, scoop the ball up, and just go to the goal because I was just fast. It's the most and fun. Was, you know, that was the most fun. and
0: Fastest guy wins.
2: Exactly, <laughs> you know. Um, so uh, my, my parents began to inst- instill on me that the assist is just as good as the goal think probably to help me make friends on the field more than anything um, <laughs> which in turn has made me a lot of friends on the field um, but uh, as I grew older um, you know I, I'm I, I think that there's kind of an art form to it in, in that not everyone looks for assists and and being able to kind of look to get your teammates involved and then if the opportunity presents itself to go to the goal is something that is a mentality that's not necessarily easy to to create, but I look at a guy like Tom Schreiber, who I play with and I look up to a lot. Um, Tom wins his matchup every single time, so don't get it don't get it twisted. If you aren't winning your matchup, if you aren't putting yourself in a good position to be successful, you know it's going to be hard to feed. Um, but what I've realized is I can do half of the effort, right? I can do the first half. I don't need to do the entire thing because I have great players around me. Um, and, and then in terms of Opening up areas of uh, the field for you, it makes you a much harder cover when they know that you're going to feed. Because the moment that I put my head up to feed, the defense either lunges, puts their stick in the wrong passing lane, opens up a passing lane for me, um, different things like that. And that's, that comes back to the whole deception side of it, which is really hard to teach. But the more that, that you can communicate to kids to, to convince defenders that you're doing something that you're not, it, that, in my opinion, is the number one key to being a, a great attackman.
0: Yeah, well, having your head up, I used to tell the guys at LaSalle, almost has a zen principle to it in that the more you feed and the more you have your head up, the more it comes back to you. Correct, correct. And these guys are just having their head down, and they're going to the goal, and I'm like, if you give it up more, you will get what you want. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they look at you like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. It, it, the ball comes back eventually, and and, and in, all, in all honesty, I mean, it, it allows me to kind of – be okay with demanding the ball a little bit more because I know that I'm getting others involved. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm a guy that's stirring the offense, you know, the, the ball's going to end up in my stick more often than not because if you're making your teammates better the coach is going to want want the ball on your stick
0: how about the art of picking for me as an older guy i'm getting cranky i'm just watching bad <laughs> picking you know i used to at cockyville watch film on red Arback at the boston celtics with lance parish <laughs> and larry bird walking you through oh, yeah. the correct pick, the, pick. Yep. the correct role yep. the correct the entire dynamic and yet today you don't see young people knowing how to set it and mm-hmm. how to run off of it correctly and how mm-hmm. to roll correctly. Mm-hmm. Any insights? Do you agree with me? Disagree? Yeah, no. Me?
2: A hundred, I mean, the big little is is practically how I do 75% of what I do um, on the field. And, you know, I, I actually I play with, in my opinion, probably the best pick setter in the world, Ryan Ambler, Philly guy, Abington. Um,
0: but he's half of it. You're the other half.
2: Well, there's, so there's there's two sides. One is you need to be able to disguise it and also time it. So disguising it means you you need to be a, a, at your defender's back. If if I'm the picker, you know, I need to be behind uh, the ball carrier's defender so he can't see it coming. Two, something that I do is, is and what I communicate to kids is any defender can defend a pick on the same when you're moving on the same plane. What I, what I try to do is make him defend me one-on-one and then run him off of the pick. I think as a ball carrier, that makes it so much harder for the defender to have to defend the ball for three to four yards before getting to the pick. And then also kind of hitting, when you hit the pick, you've got a five-yard run. So you're hitting it at full speed, um, which from a defensive standpoint, that's pretty hard to get through, um. And and it's really just trying to get a switch onto onto short sticks a lot of the time. But the more that you can make defenders communicate and have to fight to get through those picks, um, I've realized that it's not always the first one that might open something up, but it's the second, it's the third, and it's keeping that defender guessing. um, Because one-on-one battles can can be easily won by defenses. Once you start adding multiple players in it, that's when it gets difficult.
0: And you practice this with your teammates. Oh, yeah. Like you would your stick work. Oh, yeah. I don't see that
2: either. That makes me double cranky. (laughs) And I've, I've heard you say
1: you didn't really use pick play as much in high school, and mm-hmm. then you it was your jam in college, mm-hmm. and there's no looking back, and mm-hmm. um, things were built off of that, which we'll hopefully talk more about. Yep. Um, how about creativity? You know, like, what are you telling kids yep. versus
2: maybe different things you were told 20 years ago? Yeah, so uh, Coach Hogan for Central Bucks used to scream at me for throwing sidearm passes Yeah. Um, and, and would... Yeah, berate me Um, because I wasn't big enough when we were in man up opportunities. I wasn't able to kind of draw my defender down and then throw an overhand pass because then I would have to throw it over him. So I just started throwing it around him. And it really wasn't until um,
1: was someone there to catch it. Were they ready?
2: Not as much. Right. It's harder. It's harder to see when when you're younger. Um, But the number one thing I, I tell kids is, creativity is a phenomenal thing in our sport. And it's one of the most beautiful pieces of our game. I mean, I look at Lyle Thompson. I look at, um, you know, Zed Williams. I look at some of the Canadians, the guy, like some of these things that these guys do is just, it's unbelievable. Um, But those nuances, there has to be a reason for it. So I give all of my players the green light to throw an underhand skip. If he can show me in practice that he can do it, over and over and over again, and it really started to click to me that it was okay to do these things when I was in practice. Um, I, I actually, yeah, it was it was a blue white scrimmage uh, at Penn State with Coach Tambroni, and uh, and he actually encouraged me to throw behind the back on the fast break.
1: And, what he got fired up or and, and he was like,
2: no 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 he just I I threw it across my body okay and it got tipped yeah and he said next he's like you can throw that like yeah. you got it. And so from a coach's perspective, the power of giving a player a green light to do something from a confidence standpoint did a lot for me. Um, but that's when I kind of started throwing the sidearms and, and being able to throw all those different things. Um, but if it increases your angle to score, if it creates a passing lane that wasn't there before, um, or if it you know has to slice through 40 yards of a defense you know, that those are those t- opportunities to do that. Um, and and anything that I throw, I think, in games, none of it's for flash. It's it's all for technique. And in a lot of ways, I'd rather throw behind the back than a pull pass most times, um, just because I've worked on it for so long.
0: And that comes from Gary Gate and Zilberti and check oh, yeah. but all of them were allowed to do it too, because they could. Yes, exactly. So that was my rule at LaSalle, like, uh, as I got older and grew into <laughs> it, but it was you can do that when
2: you prove you can do it well Rob Pinnell still complains about coach Tambroni allowed me to do that because when he was at Cornell Rob was could not, not he allowed said he grew to do that yeah <laughs> I could
0: do this all day long with the coach this is great but we need to move on to our yep. culture building section and this is always insightful because you've been a part of so many great teams I mean from Haverford to Penn State to the Archers and you've probably seen locker rooms that worked locker rooms that didn't and amazing ways that guys build their culture and coaches manage that. Any initial thoughts when you think of Haverford and then Penn State and then the Archers in terms of culture and being brothers?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think you you hit the the nail right on the head. I've played for three incredible head coaches that set the tone in terms of the culture of of programs. Um, I I think at Haverford I learned how to win. Um, Coach Nostrandt was, you know, not – he he's, he'll tell you he loves you at, at some point, but he's more of a you know straight straight and narrow guy, and um, you know he demanded excellence, and and I think in in terms of the reason for our success, it was because he demanded it so much that we demanded it of ourselves, and I think it's if, if I think of culture, the number one thing comes down to accountability from yourself and to your teammates. I think um, whether it be hard conversations to have with teammates or hard conversations to have with yourself um, and, and just making sure that the standard is never compromised. Um, you know, and then when I look at Penn State, you know, Coach T is all about doing it the right way um, and and making sure that you're doing it together. And I, I learned so much from Coach T and, and him and I still keep in great touch today. Um, but, but one of the biggest things that – He taught me was just how to be a little bit more compassionate um and i think that's something that's not used enough um you know he's a guy that wears his heart on his sleeve um but but he'll hug you he'll tell you he loves you he'll cry in front of you he'll do he'll do everything and seeing a a grown man who i respect so much show those emotions really led the way for that um because i wasn't always the most compassionate teammate i was not not always a nice guy, and I still have fiery moments. Um, you know, my still today. Um, and then lastly, it was Coach Bates. You know, I think Coach Bates is is I've been a part of the creation of the culture in the Archers, which is, I think has been a really um, kind of awesome thing to be a part of. I, I grabbed coffee with him today, and you know, he's just so committed to making sure that it's a strong locker room more than anything out on the field because as much talent as you put in the locker room. The one thing with professional lacrosse that I've realized is if you guys don't, if you guys won't go to bat with each other in the locker room before you take the field, once that whistle blows, it's not going to go well. And I I think we're learning that more. Um, I think we still need to do some changes and, and hold each other a little bit more accountable, but, um, you know, all three coaches, like you said, like I'm a lucky guy, I'm a lucky guy to have all three of those mentors in my life. And, um, you know, hopefully I can pass some of the stuff I've learned from on my years onto the Haverford guys as I'm coaching now.
0: Yeah. They're first class coaches and people. hundred oh, percent.
2: Yeah. Awesome
1: takeaways from each coach there too. Uh, you know, you learned how to win, you learned how to be compassionate with coach Bates. You're learning that the locker room is most important. Um, and as you're moving on to coaching high school, uh, what are some of the the things that you know you're already instilling when you're, at those early morning workouts or talking to guys and giving them feedback, um, or the impact that you want to make. Um, tell us more about that mindset now. Um, and it's cool to kind of have that coffee with coach Bates as a coach or as a player, you know, and he's your coach, Mm -hmm. but he's also, an opposing coach this spring that we owe a few to. Mm Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear your mindset on those different perspectives.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I mean with Haverford, um, the the number one thing I think I learned at Haverford, uh, was how to work hard. I mean, I, I was at, I was there at 7. AM every day, um, hitting the wall or shooting with coach Patron. Um, he was there with a bucket of balls and his kids running around on the field. And, um, you know, it, that was every single day. And that was, that was part of the that culture, was the, right? That was the standard show up and work. And, and so, you know, part of my goal in this is kind of to bring that back um, in, in that, because I think it not only was a huge part of my development, but it also made me care a little bit more about what I was doing because I put so much time into it. Um, and I think punching the clock and, and putting all that time into it, that's where the care factor grows. It's, you can love your school, you can love your teammates, but you know, if you don't individually invest into it, um, you're never going to be fully invested. And so trying to just instill that on the kids and, um, you know, I, I think to Haverford's standards, they haven't been uh, as amazing as they usually are, but that's they're still a top 25 team in the country and still have amazing players and, um, you know, kind of trying to bring not necessarily um, that back, but more of a blue collar mindset to them, because I think, you know, because of the, the success in the past, um, you know there there can be some, some complacency and some expectations, but those expectations are, are set in the locker room, and and that doesn't we don't need to listen to anybody else outside.
0: All right, our guest roundtable section is where we just talk about your life and talk about being a lacrosse player and your journey, and I always like hearing our guest's story. So let's start with your story. How did you get involved in the game from the very beginning?
2: Yeah, so my brother Brandon. Um, my, my dad played soccer in college. Uh, that was his, that was his sport. So naturally we all played soccer. My brothers played baseball, T-ball growing up. My brother came home from school one day, said, I want to try lacrosse. Um, following year, my other brother did. And then because they were playing in the spring, I refused to play baseball. So I played soccer year round until I was old enough to play lacrosse.
0: And this would have been Doylestown. Uh,
2: central bucks. Yep. So I, I played, started first grade, um, First grade at, uh, at Camp Curiosity in Doylestown. So, yeah.
0: So, any coaches from those days besides Coach Hogan?
2: Uh, Coach McGovern. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul? Yeah, I Coach McGovern. Sc- sc- scooping's like poopin'. Remember that? <laughs> still today. Still, and I pass that on to kids today. Um, Coach Vetter, um, Coach Brown, Coach Henze, and then my dad also uh, helped out as well.
0: So, then you end up at Haverford through Mesa a little bit. Mm-hmm. And. Was that really through the club that brought you there?
2: Uh, yeah, so it was Penn Star, um, and then that led into Mesa, and I, I was debating on doing it, but I actually had a conversation with with my neighbor Sean Coleman, um, who was a, was my idol, one of my idols growing up, um, phenomenal player, but also just a phenomenal role model in person. Um, you know, he he kind of nudged me in the private school direction, just because of the doors that had opened him, um, and, and then. You know, because he was a little Sal explorer. are <laughs> leaving was, that part yeah, out. Yeah, he was one of my um, one of my best. <laughs> but uh, and then once I kind of got on campus and, and visited, um, the the rest was was history. Once I, I got to know Coach Nostrand, and mind you, that 2011 team was pretty good at Haverford uh, as well. So that that may have had something a little bit to do with it.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm
1: biting my tongue here. <laughs> Yeah, Grant kicked my ass a couple times while, while I was coaching Episcopal Academy, so <laughs> biting my tongue a little bit too, but um, tell us about your style of play back when you were in high school, uh, maybe as a younger guy trying to climb the depth chart. I think I remember you playing left-handed and trying to figure out if you were left-handed, and then who were you chasing, and was it guys at Haverford or was it other Philly guys? I like to ask 20 questions at a time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I played JV – I played second-line JV my freshman year. Uh, Myself, Jake Hervada, who went on to be three-time captain at Delaware, and Connor Keating, who was a captain at UPenn. So the three of us were the second-line midfielders of the JV unit my ninth grade year. Um, And uh, bulked up. Coach Nostrand said I need to get bigger, faster, stronger. Um, Bulked up a little bit. And then it was the Gilman game my sophomore year – I told coach Patron, I can play lefty attack and, uh, they gave me a shot and, and kind of never looked back. So I played lefty attack, both my sophomore and my senior year. Um, it's what the team needed.
1: There was no lefty attack, man. And you said there hey, was, I need there, to get on there the field. was, I
2: okay. kind of, uh, beat, beat him out for, for that spot and, um, was, was able to do that. I was, also flanked by two great leaders in Riley Hupfeld and Gavin McBride that year, so two guys who I looked up to a lot that that definitely helped me with that process.
1: Still having nightmares about some of those inbounds plays. You guys used to run like <laughs> like layup lines and uh, and the and
0: pick for the picker oh, over yeah, and yeah. over. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> and
1: nightmares about that one. Just somehow always open.
0: So 2008, all the way up to 2015, from my perspective as a coach at LaSalle, was just amazing Philadelphia lacrosse. You're talking yeah. about the eight and nine LaSalle teams, win state championships, highly national ranked. To 2011, as you pointed out, have it for team. You throw Stoga in between there a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. They crush it nationally, beating Calvert Hall and others. You go back to the Rambo team in 2014, LaSalle's top two, top one in the nation. Mm-hmm. And then it all c- kind of culminates in the 2015 Haverford 26 and O team. I mm-hmm. think that's the Phillies' great run, mm-hmm. ending with you guys. Mm-hmm. Tell us what it was like to be on that team and be mythical national champion.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not mythical. Let's be honest. Here. Still champs, as Hervada <laughs> likes to say. <laughs> so en- Enrique Hervada signs every. Jake Hervada's dad still signs every text to me. Hashtag still champs. Um, but no, that that team was, you know, just unbelievable the resilience of of the group because um, because there was a lot of pressure on us to to do well and um you know being down uh 8-1 against Gilman being down 8-1 against Mal or 8-2 against Malvern yeah I mean
0: we forgot in my being, rambling that I missed being, Malvern won one or two yeah Malvern
2: Malvern, uh... Malvern the t- so it was LaSalle 2013 Malvern 2014 was the the Pelton and and all those guys here and Sparky Hilburn and those guys those guys were amazing um and so, you know, with with it, I think, like I said, that that was really the time where, where I think I learned to win. Um, and, you know, I look at some of the competitors that I played with, um, you know, Doc Aiken just going Doc's mode on us when he wanted to, and, um, you know, Phil Pocquey doing what he did and, and scoring four goals against Hunt in the championship game, and, um, you know, Jake Curvada coming out, kind of of his shell towards the tail end of the year and just being dominant. Chris Sabia blowing up and then committing to Penn State right after the season. So, you know, I, I, as much as, you know, the, the whole season was, was great, I think the memories that I think I share with my teammates of that, um, you know, those bonds, when, when you win and when you go undefeated like that and you accomplish that, I mean, our bonds are unbreakable, and we still hang out with those guys still today. And every time we do, we send you know a selfie to to Nody or Coach Patrone or Coach Loving. <laughs> that's and awesome. You're more and, than teammates; you're brothers. Correct, and and that's that's the biggest thing I, I I took from that. The other years were were great, but but I think you know being able to to win a, as much as we did, um, but also to go through the ebbs and flows where you know it was pretty close. You know, like. It, IMG was a one goal game you know Culver we had to come back it was the last game of the year mm-hmm. um, and drew just like put the team on his back in the third quarter or second quarter you know it there's so many different things that I think about where just guys had to step up and guys did um, and, and because of that it was such a shared role and there wasn't any pressure for one guy to take the entire team um, it was you know, if, if Drew stepped up on a day, if Phil stepped up on a day, if Docs or 4E or, you know, whoever it needed to be, um, we were all kind of prepared for the moment. And when it came, we just we just did our job.
0: Yeah, well to have so many talented Division One <laughs> players. So if
2: it wasn't your day, <laughs> it was another really exactly. impressive guy's day. Exactly.
1: Uh, so moving on to Penn State, I know you committed there early, had some family ties. Um, looking back on your time at Penn State, there were a lot of firsts. I called you a program changing player earlier. How did you and your teammates leave it better than you found it
2: I, I wins and losses aside um, the the culture change that, that we had um, it was just it, it was so different when when we were freshmen and um, you know that's not to say that the seniors that year weren't incredible teammates and didn't care um, but you know when we kind of went through this this whole this whole journey um, it was after my red shirt. I guess sophomore year when I broke my foot, we were eight and six, and our backs were kind of against the wall. And you know, I look at seniors, I look at Chris Sabia, I look at Kevin Fox, I look at you know Mike now, Matt Donnelly. I look at all these guys who you know this is it for them. Um, and the the accountability piece was is what really changed. Um, but also, not necessarily having to just show up and do the work, but always doing extra. I think that's the one thing that we changed as a, as a program um, that, you know, you don't just check a box to go to practice. It's you check a box to go to practice, but did you get your extra shots in after? Or it's not did you do the lift, it's did you do the extra lift that our strength coach offered on Sunday morning? And, um, you know, being able to present, present yourself in a public eye as well, I think is a big thing that we changed. You know, guys showing up to class looking presentable. You know all of these different things um, that that Coach Tambroni was changing, um, but I think we really did a good job of kind of taking that that over and and you know translated to the field and and that's that's the reason for it was because of all of the tough conversations and all of that stuff that you know we didn't really stand for anything if you weren't bringing it in practice you're not practicing and and, and really just holding and taking ownership of the entire team as opposed to just playing for coach Tambroni I felt that in the 2019 and 2020 year it was our team meaning coaches and players as opposed to kind of fighting against each other which tends to happen a lot when you have you know college lacrosse players
1: I like the phrase champions do the extra like you just said is uh from the New Zealand, all blacks. It's Mm -hmm. one of their principles. Coach
2: T's just like
1: favorite book. Leave it better than you found it.
0: Covered all that in season one on our podcast.
2: Oh yeah. Great book. Favorite book book too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we've covered so many of your well-deserved accolades. How about when you look back some low points, disappointments, injuries, learning moments, that's where we grow the most. Mm -hmm. So
2: Yeah. So I, I look, I have low moments all throughout my, my entire career, obviously, you know, playing JV as a freshman after I was recruited to go to Haverford. Um, you know, that was tough uh, getting cut from Team USA U19. Still have not lost to Ohio State ever since. Uh, and I hope Coach Myers regrets that till the day he dies. Um, but <laughs> I didn't have any role in those decisions. <laughs> yeah. so I know you didn't. I, I know, yeah. I, I know. I know you didn't. But um, I look at that. You know, that fueled me more than, more than anything. Um, and, and then I get to my injuries. And my injuries were a different setback because there was nothing I could do, right? It wasn't about like it was a stress fracture that ended up cracking and and then it wasn't healing. And and then my other foot, I got infected. I got mid-season surgery in the 2019 season. and had to miss two weeks. Um, you know, all of those things, the number the, the number one thing I, I think it taught me um, was how to kind of be able to uh, – Take when once I stepped away from the field to be a be a person, um, I think it. I, I didn't realize how much lacrosse consumed me, and it still consumes me to such a great degree. But um, when I had my injury, I was so constantly reminded that I can't do something. And instead of kind of doing what most kids do, which is sulk and, and do all those things, you know, I was I was lifting, I was doing all those things, but um, I, I really tried my best to not necessarily look at myself as the star lacrosse player for the first time ever, but just a teammate, um, and it gave me great perspective on on that because there are guys that sit on the sideline for all four years that aren't injured. They're, and, ne- they're and, never the star. And, you and to that, appreciate that, and that kind of side of it allowed me to appreciate it more, and obviously appreciate the game more. But um, the biggest perspective was, you know, that you're just who you are on the field is has nothing to do with who you are off the field. Um, but also when, if, if, if you're a star player and that gets taken away from you, you know, it, it shows if you're not a star person. So, um, you know, trying to expose that and, and be the best teammate that I could be.
1: So no slight to Penn state, but we got to move on to the pros and just kind of get to the most recent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the first pick in the PLL draft, what did that feel like? And I guess what's the mindset, like how, how legit did you think it was going to be? And, um, you know, take us,
2: take us to that night. Yeah. Um, so that, that was, uh, obviously a special moment, you know, that 2020 year, I, I injured my foot again, the UVA scrimmage that fall of 2019 post-op infection in the hospital for a week non-weight-bearing for eight more weeks, IV for a month. Like, I I went through hell and back. um, And
1: and, then you came back. And and I came
2: back for for 2020, wasn't practicing because I physically couldn't walk, basically. Um, I would put numbing cream on and take five ibuprofen before the game and and hope for the best. And you can see it with how I moved um, in that season. Um, and, And then... When I kind of felt it start going well, it got taken. COVID. Um, so that was tough, and the PLL draft really just kind of provided a light at the end of the tunnel for me. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough where I was able to turn the page and continue to keep writing. Well, as a lot of guys, that was the end of their book. Um, how, how confident were you that you were totally healthy? Or, uh, was, or were there I, doubts? I still doubt that I'm fully healthy. Um, yeah, I still deal with – with foot stuff, um, still today, um, the number one thing that doctors told me is that I needed, I needed rest. And so as much as that, you know, it ripped my heart out to not be able to play, that was what my body needed actually. So I didn't, I didn't work out for a month, uh, on my feet, um, and really just tried to get healthy. And, and I believe I did. Um, and, and then as, as the season, you know, progressed and as I was able to train, I was able to kind of do it, with limited pain, um, as opposed to at Penn State, where I literally didn't practice with the team and was just doing extra upper body conditioning workouts so I could stay in shape. So I wasn't huffing and puffing too bad on Saturdays.
1: So when the PLL starts, it's still COVID and it's in the bubble, correct? Mm-hmm. So what's that like? And how old were you? 20, 23, 24? Yeah, 23. Um, and there's got to be guys, you're the first time you walk into a locker room or a field that
2: You've had their posters, been to their camps, or yeah.
1: been fans of, so yeah, pretty cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. Um, you know, Drew Adams, Philly legends. you know, seeing him walk into the locker room and then him stuffing me in practice. <laughs> um, you know, Will Manny, Marcus Holman, Tom Schreiber, you know, all those guys I looked up to and watched their college ball and have watched them in the pros forever. And then, you know, being able to play against guys like – you know, Pennell, Rabel, um, Kyle Harrison, um, you know, and then, you know, individually matching up against Tucker Durkin. And, you know, he's, as you know, coach, like he's a scary guy on the field, really nice guy off the field, but, you know, was definitely intimidating to go against. His
1: veins are popping out. Exactly.
2: So, you know, it it, it was a really surreal moment. And I'm I'm such a lacrosse fan first. Um, Like I was that kid who... I was the only one out of my friend groups to. I recorded every MLL game that was ever played and would watch it, and yeah, watch you're it over a and over yeah. and over again. And um, you know, playing against Kyle Harrison, you know, I I remember playing against Hopkins and I hit a jump shot against Hopkins and did the Kyle Harrison celebration towards their bench because that that guy like it's a hero. I, I yeah. watched everything that he did. Um, and, and so being able that's one of the coolest parts I think with professional lacrosse. Um, that that also it's okay to have these conversations and tell them like, dude, this is, this is so cool. And um, you're
1: passing and, it on now to guys that are going to see you in the league. And, the, at some, and that's, pretty that's pretty the hope
2: with, with some of these high school kids that, that I'm pretty close with who are, are pretty talented, who I, you know, can't, can't wait to play with down the line um, and, and be able to take that other role. But right now I'm enjoying being the young buck and being able to be the excited guy who just wants to pick guys brains and, um, that's, that's the biggest thing I think I did in the past two years is making sure that I'm asking as many questions as I can. Um, cause there's so, so much great talent and so much diversity of talent in, in the game and trying to just absorb as much as I can.
0: Well, you're asking those questions to great players, but you're also asking them to two great coaches and dear friends of mine, coach <laughs> Bates and coach Rush. What yes. was it like playing for them for your first year?
2: Uh, it was great. It was great. Coach Bates was, was awesome. Very welcoming, um, from the moment that that I came on and, and made me feel a part of the offense from the first conversation that we had about offense um, and, you know, coming from a, a team where a lot of the offense kind of ran through me versus playing professional across when there's, you know, six guys that can all kind of carry the load um you know it's it's different but he he did a great job him and and then you know the leaders of the archers offense i look at marcus and tom kind of helping me with that and then you know coach rash we were joking about it earlier but coach rash used to scare the hell out of me you you didn't like that glare from the lasalle bench i mean i thought he was the scariest guy in the world and then he comes into the locker room and I, i my locker was right next to where he sat in the locker room so we had you know a lot of in-depth conversations about history books and 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 lord knows what but you know his cerebral approach um you know he's a man of few words but but he he gets to the point and um I, i i sincerely believe he's the most respected coach in lacrosse in professional lacrosse and that's you know, he, he's earned that right, obviously with his resume, but I think he's earned that right because of the way that he does things, which I I know you can speak on.
0: That's why he's going to go in the hall of fame. Yeah, exactly. The big one.
2: Exactly. So
1: Grant, uh, we we've seen, and we love the ankle breaking moves, the, uh, top 10 highlights, all that stuff. Um, but what don't people see, you know, what's the training you're doing? Um, not just maybe lacrosse, but also mindfulness, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, trying to be,
2: a player long-term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, the I have a I have a sports psychologist um, that I work with on a decently regular basis. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that we can tackle with, with that side of, of mindset and a lot of avenues that we can go down. Um, but, you know, I, I've kind of realized that I wish I got into that stuff a lot more when I was younger um, because th- the mental side of, of the sport, of any sport, um, of anything in life, you know, if you aren't mentally prepared, if you if you don't um, if you don't have the right mindset towards things, you're not going to be successful. And you know, I even look at this these, this past season. There were a few games where I didn't have necessarily the correct mindset. I didn't play well, really, and, yeah. and it was very very apparent that I didn't do the things that I normally do. Um, but right now, I think the biggest thing for me um, and one of the bigger challenges that I have is is still focusing on making sure I'm, I'm grant the person and I'm not necessarily grant lacrosse all the time. And being able to take breaks from lacrosse is, is kind of my off season um, mantra because I I just get burnt out a lot during the season. And as I'm going to be coaching a lot in the spring. um, So, you know, not necessarily shooting and, and listening to my body to let it recover, but also listen to my mind that you don't have to peak today. You have to peak next September. And, um, being, being patient with that mindset and, and understanding that you're, you're still a 24 year old kid and enjoying, enjoying being able to, you know, go, go to a bar with a couple of friends on a Friday night.
0: You have said it twice now, and I've always thought this, our coaching staff at LaSalle would discuss this sometimes, especially the youth today, they play too much. You've addressed this like three oh, different yeah. times. Oh yeah, and now you have through injuries yep. and through mental burnout, kind of a little bit. You've yep. learned. Oh yeah, that you need to take a break, step yeah. away from the game, put your stick down, yeah, and go do what. I,
2: when I was younger, I, I when it was soccer season, when it was wrestling season, like I loved other sports, and I, I the reason I encourage kids, I encourage kids. I played soccer through senior year of high school, loved it, loved playing soccer, loved being on the soccer field. I wasn't as good as, as I was at lacrosse um, I was a role player on the on the Haverford soccer team but I still think there's so much value in sport um, because there's competitiveness there's teamwork there's so much that you learn um, but when I when I played soccer in high school I wasn't the guy and, and not being the guy is a good learning experience because you, you, you have to learn how to play your role um, and that teaches a lot about life. So, um, you know, with that, and then for me personally, um, you know, w- in terms of stuff that I, I like to do to get away, um, I do play golf. I, I do, you know, different things with my family. I don't have that many hobbies. Um, but what I, I do like to do is, is put the stick in the closet for a little bit like it's in my closet right now at home um and, and because it it can consume you um and that you got to find the, the key balance right you, you can't sprint a marathon right you have to pace yourself so that way you can finish at the right time at the, and at the right pace and that's kind of the, the lacrosse journey with with every off season it's trying to figure out where to where to push and where to pull
1: that's great and talking about the marathon i feel like you've kind of followed in the footsteps of guys like Kyle Harrison and Rabel, who you've mentioned, but really seems like you're trying to make an impact in the lacrosse world long-term and that you're building a a brand and awareness and maybe in different directions. So um, I guess, you know, how strategic is that? Are you a full-time lacrosse player, coach, ambassador? Like I would describe you to my in-laws as I was trying to last night, and then I just showed them the highlights. But um, just tell us about that and the full time lifestyle that you're you're following.
2: Yeah, so you know, uh, obviously following in the footsteps of, you know, uh, Paul was the first one to do this, but then his was in part his his boldness and his his own creativity, um, but also his was timing. You know, he timed the Facebook, YouTube boom um, that that happened in. Uh, when he when he kind of came out of school and he hopped on it and it really did take off and he was the first one to do that. Um, so being able to monetize social social media um, and, and stuff like that, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of kind of learned to do. I hate social media. Um, I, I I delete it on game weekends. I don't necessarily love it. I think it's um, I think it's a tool, um, but I, I think it in a lot of ways. It's Nick Saban so amazingly puts it it's rat poison. Um, but I, I find myself getting consumed by it at times and I I try to limit it. Um, and, and, but through that getting endorsements, um, we mentioned attack Academy. So I run a a platform with Rob Pinnell, Tom Schreiber and my old Penn state teammate, Mac O'Keefe. Um, that's essentially training, uh, for, for younger kids. Um, but one of my goals in this is obviously to stay relevant and be involved in the lacrosse community, Um, but I, have realized, you know, I don't want to do clinics my entire life. Um, I'll I'll do them when, when they come, but you know, uh, unless I'm coaching a high school or college team, the only coaching I'm going to do when I retire is for my brother's kids or for my kids. And that's, that's just because it's that it, it means something to me, but it's not necessarily something I want, um, long-term career wise. Um, so, you know, trying to create platforms and, and meet people um, to be able to leverage something so that way I'm, I don't have to be on the field 24-7 and I don't have to do all of those things um, as much. While I'm still playing, it makes sense to do um, from, a, from all kind of standpoints, um, but as I'm kind of realizing it's not forever and I'm not unfortunately making seven figure salaries every year. Um, you know, I'm not going to retire off of all of this stuff. So trying to just leverage my connections and all of those things. So that way, you know, I can stay in the lacrosse world, but I don't necessarily have to do the the typical camp clinic route, um, yeah. that so many people have done. Awesome.
1: So attack Academy is kind of the day job, it's like a full time yeah. hustle. Yeah, you're, so you're we building it out.
2: Yeah. So we we launched um version two this this past October. Um and essentially we wanna be that that kind of place where we can give kids a roadmap, they just have to do the work. Um and so often I get asked via Instagram DMs, you know, what do you do in your training? What are you doing in the weight room? What are you doing? Um, you know, and all these different things and you know, we have strength and conditioning built in. We have um, training built in. We have master class videos built in. And we have feedback that we're able to give to the kids. Um, so it's been a cool process for me designing a product that I wish I had. Yeah, um, That's like the perspective that I try to take, take from it is – you know, I would have killed to have interaction with professional lacrosse players, but in Doylestown, I had one, and it was with Max Siebald and it was basically an autograph signing at Herps Field, um, and and that was the only one that I had. And so, um, you know, trying to make sure that for those non-traditional hotbeds, that we can reach them and they can have at least feel like they have a relationship with professional lacrosse players, because so many um, different like areas. I look at Long Island, I look at Baltimore and they get to see professional lacrosse players all the time, and I think Philadelphia is starting to get that way too, which is pretty cool.
1: Grant, talk, talk to me about the Scorers League uh, with Attack Academy and Next that you've run this past summer and fall and maybe beyond.
2: That we've run, Coop. We've,
1: oh, yeah. We've been, oh, yeah. We've been
2: crush- you've been out there getting some sweat equity in yourself. I've been singing praises,
1: all the goalies that I work <laughs> with. I'm, I'm way more dialed in. My deception's a little bit better, and I've been telling people in the office that ask me what it is or how it goes, I'm like, I've gotten better. And I'm 36, and I'm taking a fourth of the rest. Um, but, yeah, just a quick overview yep. of what you're doing there. Yep.
2: Um, so we, we kind of came up with this concept. I, I find myself I'm very, very good at coaching in small groups, but I'm, I'm not the best at coaching in large camp, uh, you know, 50 kids at a time environment. So um, we kind of designed this uh, this kind of program where we're, we're mimicking – everything, uh, on, on multiple different goals, um, with five to eight kids on each goals, um, you know, hundred balls on each goal. And it's really all about getting reps. Um, but it's all progressional and it's all working on specific skills on, on those days. And, um, the reason that the, we wanted to create this was because, um, you know, I do private lessons and I do all these things and I actually, I'm very good at articulating what I do on the field, Um, this was a way for us to not mass produce it, um, but be able to spread it in more than just three to five kids at a time. So, um, it's gone really well thus far. We've had two, two great sessions. Um, we're, we're looking into the winter time slots now, so stay tuned for that. And then, uh, as for summer, um, you know, my goal in this is, is to make this, uh, a thing with involved with Philly college lacrosse players as well. Um, Bring them in and and allow them to get some reps too. Um, Because I I do think there's not enough training and there's too much competition in in the sport. And I think this is something that would be a great tool for young players.
1: Great. Yeah. Reminded me of the Philly faceoff league Mm -hmm. where it's like, if you're serious about this one thing, Mm -hmm. show up, you're going to get better. You're going to get beat you're going to get challenged but you're, you're going to learn something mm-hmm. you're going to go home and have routines that you can make your own
2: 100% yeah
1: and then it's open to any club team you know what are some of the the teams you saw represented or maybe some of the kids that have stood out
2: yeah i mean we've got we've got everywhere obviously we've got next kids but you know mesa freedom brotherly love um we got some Buck Select kids, but we've got kids driving all the way from Lancaster, um, and, and then kids driving uh, from Jersey as well. So we've got a good, good group. Um, I think the more diversity in that, the better. Um, you know, for me, it's obviously about you know doing this and and getting getting kids better, but it's about building Philly lacrosse as well, which is something that one of my goals in this entire thing is to to make Philly lacrosse equal to Baltimore and Long Island. And, and as much as we want to say we are, we just are not. Um, so, you know, hopefully this, this upcoming season, we can get more kids out and, and in summer we can really, we can really blow it out of the water. And, and more importantly, kids can come out and get better. Awesome. It's been fun. So thanks.
0: All right, coach. Going to be a coach. Have a fur. Are you ready for this? I am. I put 28 years into this mess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll talk afterwards. Yeah, we should. What <laughs> do you think?
2: What are you looking forward to? Uh, I kind of similar to what we were ta- like. I, I did the clinics route and camps and clinics route for a year, and and I'll continue to do it. But it, there's not a lot of reward. It's not very rewarding. And, and being able to kind of go on the journey with, um, players, you know, wins, losses, highs, lows, um, you know, be and being able to kind of go on that journey with them has already been re- more rewarding as I've started coaching and, and getting to know them in some of the morning sessions that we're doing. But um, so there's that. And then, yeah, there is, you know, as, as much as, um, you know, I, I loved coach, no coach Patron and coach loving. Um, I love how for lacrosse. It's, it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart. And um, candidly, if, if Springside Chestnut Hill came in and offered me the same thing, I probably wouldn't have taken it. And, and that's, just because I know what I'm getting into, but also, um, you know, it's, it's, it's personal. And uh, I I definitely want to kind of bring that energy to the team. And I think, um, you know, having a coach with, with passion and with a personal connection, you know, the hope is that I can just exude that out and and the kids can kind of gravitate towards it and and begin to kind of have that, that passion themselves.
0: I think you're going to be great from what I've seen tonight. Good luck. (laughs) Thanks coach.
1: (laughs) Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask you about was Team USA. You mentioned getting slighted. You didn't make the U19 team. I wasn't aware of that, but I like <laughs> the chip on your shoulder that came out. And Six then, years, Ohio State hasn't beat Penn State. You said that. Six. <laughs> Six. And then uh, in Baltimore a few weeks ago, I believe you you got to suit up for the red, white, and blue. and mm-hmm. Tell us how it went.
2: It went really well. It was obviously awesome playing for Coach Stanowski. Um, I've watched him coach the duke teams for ever um so you know being able to play with him you know coach hamplow coach tierney um they were all at hofstra when i was at delaware it's how old i am they were all together kicking ass so um a lot a lot of long island in a room but uh they're 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 all great guys and the coaching staff really impressed me but um you know it, it was it was a really cool experience getting to suit up alongside Rob Pinnell for the first time, getting to suit up back with Mac. Um, you know, we played we played really well together. Um, and and being able to, like, you know, just play with a lot of these guys that – I think that it's so funny because, like, when you're when you're in the field of battle, it's like, oh, I hate this guy. Like, he's such know, a bad he's the guy. Worst. He's the, the worst. And then you, you go to a practice and it's like, oh, this guy's – he's the man like he's he's just like me we just become best friends um so you know like you know Jack jackerellette and i had a lot of battles and we gave each other a big hug in the first practice and and being able to do that um so i i think that part is is really cool with the team usa process but um you know want to do just whatever i can to to what, have a role on the what's team. next yeah what's the next um, so there's tryouts this summer um so, you know, wh- wh- whatever is, is needed, obviously Team USA is number one on my bucket list. Um, being able to rep- represent the country is, uh, in my opinion, the, wor- the, the sport's highest accolade that you can get. Um, so, you know, that, that's the hope, um, you know, continuing to lean on vets like Rob and Tom, who luckily I have great relationships with off the field that have kind of helped me navigate um, you know, how to play in Coach Donowski's system and Coach Tierney's system. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to kind of do it, um, but, but also grateful that I got to see a little bit of dif- different perspective of guys and yeah. gain a little bit more respect for, for everybody and what they're doing.
1: Outstanding. I wish you luck. Thank you.
0: So you ready to bring this home with our little homework section? Let's do it.
1: <laughs> All right, so
0: I'm going to mention a category, and you're going to give these folks okay. your wisdom. Okay. Got it. Here we go. Homework for a parent who's listening.
2: Homework for a parent who's listening. <sighs> I would say when, a, when your child finishes a game, let them lead the conversation and let them talk and debrief to you what they think about it and just just agree i think that's one of the i never realized i did it but i call my dad and i vent to him after most if games.
1: they want to if they need to, exactly and sometimes and i don't sometimes
2: won't. i don't need it sometimes i do and and but just being an open ear and as, as opposed to an open mouth
0: for a coach who's
2: listening <laughs> realize the impact that you have on your players I think that's – I'm in a good spot because I'm still a player, um, and I realize that if you pump a kid's tires, if if you're pumping kid's tires, they're most likely going to be more confident on the field. If you do anything to deflate them or embarrass them, you know, they might play angry, but they aren't going to play confidently. They're going to play scared, and they're going to play like they need to to make a play. Um, And that's knowing your players, but for the most part, I I think it's – understanding your impact and and using it to your advantage not necessarily just when you lose your cool and for a player who's listening dream big dream big definitely um you know I have never thought you know I always wanted to play professional lacrosse but um there have been multiple times when I've called my mom and just been like hey like Casey Powell just like messaged me on Instagram. Like (laughs) like, this is, this is my life. Like this is, and it's, it's surreal. And, and, but, um, I had a dream like when, when and I, I I was the the one kid that every, every coach knew that I wanted to play professional lacrosse. And that was my dream. And, um, you know, I, I have certain ways about me, but there wasn't going to be anything that that was going to stop me. And, Um, I've been lucky in kind of the moves that I've taken and and the people that have helped me get there. Um, but if, if I I had this conversation with a Penn state player who I believe has a lot of potential to be great, um, he mentioned to me, he said, I I think I could be an all American next year. And I said, you could have been an all American this year. You just didn't think you could be. And so, um, you know, allowing yourself to, to kind of, dream in those moments and, and, and go do it. Cause this sport doesn't, I'm five, nine, sixty five. You can be whatever size shape you want to be. As long as you got a good stick and good IQ, you can kind of go places.
0: And last, what are you reading or listening to these days?
2: Uh, reading. I just finished. It takes what it takes by Trevor Mallet, who actually just recently passed away. Uh, R- Russell Wilson's mental training coach, um, and, and then podcasts, I listen every morning to the daily stoic podcast. Um, you dropped with, a line earlier that was
1: in their podcast this morning. Yeah. 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 And I'm going to have to, I, you did, right? Yeah, you, you said something.
2: Well there, so it, it's, it's on Wednesdays, they release a podcast. Um, but it's a 10 minute. So his name's Ryan holiday. He's um, written, you said a couple things, for the very writ- stoic. Yeah, written written a bunch of stuff, <laughs> and um, you know, there's a book. There's a book for it, 366 days of the Stoic life yeah, the or day, whatever it stock. is. Um, so it's 10 minutes. until I kind of start my morning, um, and it kind of grounds me for the day. Uh, and so those those are the two. And I also listen to part of my take, which is a, is a bar stool podcast, but that's more for entertainment. I like it. I really personally enjoyed our time with you thanks coach appreciate
0: it very impressive it too. very impressive
1: yeah grant this was excellent we're, we're obviously huge fans can't wait to see you dominate for the archers and team usa uh, and to coach with you at haverford it's going to be a blast that's a wrap for episode five of season three here at the new next offices in Conshohocken, pennsylvania as we hit year three of the show our numbers continue to grow both locally and internationally so we thank you for listening. We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And tell a friend to tell a friend. For our producer, Justin, host Bill Leahy, and our special guest, Grant Amen, we're signing off from Next Headquarters in Concha Hawkins. Thanks for listening.
2: That was awesome. Crushed it. Good job, guys. Thank you. Good job. Co- what did you think?